0: I really believe that God wants to minister to us this morning through this message and yes we are still talking about Noah and the flood but you know I just tried to put myself in Noah's shoes what he must have felt like uh, on, aboard that ark for 370 some odd days and, uh, and I'm sure at some point on that voyage he must have wondered if God had forgotten him uh, I'm kind of skipping over ahead of my notes here, but uh, one thing I I realized when God spoke to Noah, he told him to come on board the ark, and he said it's going to rain 40 days and 40 nights. But that was the last thing he said to him. And he was on board that ark a lot longer than 40 days and 40 nights. And I wonder around day 100, 150, Two hundred. What was going through his mind as he saw or he heard probably the, the shrieks of terror and, and felt the, the darkness and the fountains of the deep were opened up. and He wondered, what in the world is going on? God, have you forgotten me? And I want to I wanna tell you that God did not forget Noah. And I know some of you in here this morning are going through some difficult times. I know that because I'm your pastor, but I know that just because it's the human experience. Uh, we all are going through different things, and I want to encourage you today, if you've been going through a long, a difficult trial, and you're wondering if you are all alone, God has not forgotten you. He remembers you just like He remembered Noah, and I want the Holy Spirit to really, I just if you'll just remain open to Him this morning, I believe that He will minister to you, because I believe there's some hearts that need to be healed today. I believe there's some hearts that need to, to realize that God has not forgotten you, that in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your trial, God's been with you all the way. God was with Noah that whole time, through that whole ordeal. God was with Noah on the ark. He was with him. He was never alone. And so don't you ever believe... The lie of the devil when he whispers to you, Oh, you're you're all alone. God doesn't care. God doesn't, he's forgotten you, God's focused in on somebody else. I want to tell each and every person in this room, listen to me on the authority of God's word. God has not forgotten you. He sees, he knows every tear that you've cried. The Bible talks about him bottling up our tears in a bottle and our prayers coming up before him as incense. The Lord wants to minister to you today. He has not forgotten. You. He didn't forget Noah either. Our text this morning, our very first verse, Then I'm going to ask Preacher Larry if he will to pray for us. Genesis 8.1, the Bible says, But God remembered Noah. (laughs) Let me repeat that. But God remembered Noah, and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark, and God caused a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. I want to speak to you this morning. On the subject, God remembered Noah, and God has not forgotten you. Would you pray for us, Preacher Larry? Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful passage of our Bible. We yes. ask His name Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right, Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8. Now, sometimes when you're reading, uh, you're watching a movie... Sometimes in the opening credits it'll say based on a true story. Uh, that means there may be some creative liberties or licenses taken. But this, my friends, is a literal, historical, true narrative. It, is, it really happened. This is not an allegory. It's not a parable. It's not a myth. Noah and all of the animals and his family really were aboard this large structure that God had commanded him to to build. And he really did survive a worldwide flood because God preserved him. Verse 1, God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters assuaged. Let's go to the first slide. God remembers, now this is a Hebraic idiom here, uh, it doesn't mean that God forgot, that uh, you know, oh goodness, we've got this guy out here in the middle of the water, we, we almost forgot about all the animals out there, that's not the idea here at all, when the Bible speaks of God remembering, it is when God is moving in grace toward an individual, often uh, in, in terms of a covenant, remember God had told Noah, that he said, I'm going to make my covenant, with you Now, he had not yet made the covenant, but Noah had a promise from God that he was going to have a covenant. And so, I just put a few scriptures here that, that uh, illustrate this principle of God remembering. Genesis 19, verse 29, says, It came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. It's interesting to me that Lot's survival was dependent upon Abraham. If it had not been for Abraham, Lot wouldn't have survived. Let, let that sink in. If you wonder if your prayers for your family matter, let that sink in. Genesis 30, verse 22, the Bible says, God remembered Rachel. If you remember, Rachel was barren, unable to have children, and she watched Leah having all these babies. And she thought that God had, you know, in that culture, uh, it's much different than our culture. We live in a culture that kills babies, that see them as an inconvenience. They believe that if you didn't have babies, you were cursed. And she, God took away her reproach. And it says that God remembered Rachel, Genesis 30, 22. Exodus 2, we know that the children of Israel were in bondage and they were suffering. They were in misery. Makes you wonder why they were so eager to return all the time. But they were in misery. And Exodus 2 says, verse 24, and God heard their groaning and God remembered. What did he remember? His covenant. You need to be mindful of the covenants of the Bible. Mindful of his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. There's another one that's in 1 Samuel. I didn't put it on the board. 1 Samuel chapter 1. The Bible says that Hannah was also barren. And she prayed, Lord, remember me. And then a few verses later, the Bible says that God remembered Hannah. And Samuel was born. Luke 1 verse 54. Mary in her song, the Magnificat. She said... Verse 54, he hath holpened his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. God remembered Israel and he sent Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad he did? And probably my favorite one here, Luke 23. We know him, not by name, but we know him simply as the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross. And in a totally helpless condition, would you agree? a totally helpless condition, he said unto Jesus in Luke 23, 42, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What a simple prayer. Some people say, well, how do I pray to get saved? Well, I don't know. Why don't you ask the thief on the cross? All he did was say, remember me. God, remember me. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, today you'll be with me. Paradise. Did he remember him? I think I would say so. God has not forgotten you. Now let's go to the next slide, which is going to be part two of verse one. I promise they won't all go this slow. We're going to pick up some steam here real quick. Um, Notice the Bible says that there was a wind, that God made a wind. Is that what your Bible says? God made a wind to pass over the earth. This is reminiscent of creation. The word uh, wind is the same word for spirit. It is ruach in Hebrew. The Holy Spirit in Hebrew is the Ruach Hakodesh, the Holy Spirit of God, the wind, the breath of God. And this is reminiscent of the very opening uh, stanzas of the Bible, isn't it? Genesis 1 verse 2, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the Ruach, the Spirit of God, moved upon the face of the waters. So I think this is a, a throwback, if you will, to the new creation. God's starting all over again. You know, Moses would have been really uh, familiar with the Ruach of God. Look in Exodus 14. I've got it on the board here. You don't have to look if you're here present. Exodus 14, verse 21. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and Jehovah the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east Ruach, a wind that blew all that night and made the sea dry land. Exodus 15 is the song of Moses. Moses. I love how that song opens up, Brother Ronnie. I wish sometime we could set it to music and, and maybe sing it. Maybe that'll be a project for us to work on before the rapture. Um, <laughs> I don't know. What do you think, Brother Ronnie? All right, he said go for it. <laughs> I love how that, that song opens up. Uh, I will sing unto the Lord. He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider hath he thrown into the sea. Uh, the rhyme and the, and the, you know, all of it just goes right into uh, to prose, But anyway, in Exodus 15, verse 8, and with the blast, the King James says, it's the ruach, the wind of his nostrils. And this is an anthropomorphism. We don't think that God has a nose, but he's a spirit. But, but this is an anthropomorphism. The waters were gathered together, and the floods stood upright as a heap. And the Israelites went through on dry ground. This was the power of God. The power of God is what caused the flood, and the power of God is what caused the flood to cease. We're going to get to verse 2 now. You thought you'd never get here. The fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped. And the rain from heaven was restrained. Notice there's three things that happened. The fountains, the, the subterranean waters, they, uh, they ceased. The, windows, the canopy uh, ceased to pour out. And then the rains from heaven were, were restrained. And the waters returned off the earth continually. And after the end of the 150 days... The waters were abated. Let's go to the next slide. This is talked about in Psalm 104, verse 6. The first few verses speak of creation. But then the psalmist talks about the flood. Psalm 104, verse 6. Thou coverest it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At thy rebuke they fled. At the voice of thy thunder they hasted away. They go up by the mountains. They go down by the valleys. Some translations talk about the valleys sinking down. That's how the Grand Canyon was formed, was by the flood of Noah. Don't, don't be fooled by false archaeology and, and so-called uh, science that says the earth is billions of years old and uh, tons of natural evolutionary pro- proceeds. Um, verse, Psalm 104, verse 8, the, Unto the place which you have founded for them, thou hast set abound that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. God promised the flood would never destroy the earth again. And he's held true to his promise, hasn't he? Every time you see a rainbow, don't think about um, the LGBT community. You think about the promise of God that He would never again destroy the world. And, and I want to tell you this. I'm going to say it again when we get to the Noahic Covenant. You know, it used to really uh, chap my hide, so to speak, that, that, uh, that the rainbow has been hijacked by Satan as a symbol of something that God never intended. But, but I want to tell you this. Not only is it the symbol of God's promise, but I believe God is sending a message to each one of us Every time you see a rainbow, understand that you are living in the days of Noah, okay? And we think the devil has hijacked God's message, but I think God is using the devil to tell the world that the end of times is upon us, that the end of the age is upon us. All right. Verse 4, and the ark rested. Interesting. doesn't say the ark came aground. It says the ark rested. Is that what your Bible said? Now, there's a play on words in the Hebrew. You know what Noah's name means, right? His name means rest or comfort. So, in the, in a sense, the ark Noah, <laughs> The ark rested. Uh, and on the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, upon the mountains, notice it's plural there. It's a mountain range. The mountains of Ararat. I'm going to tell you a cool story this week. Uh, Thursday, um, uh, Misty came in the office and she said, have you got time to meet with a missionary, an IMB missionary? And I said, well, I'm kind of busy. And she said, well, he's in the parking lot. (laughs) I said, well, I guess I got time then. And so he came in, and we had a good conversation. He's from that area, that region, um, Armenia, Pakistan. He had just just been in Afghanistan, but uh, whenever they turned it back over to the Taliban, it wasn't safe, and so the IMB moved him out of Afghanistan. And so he's in another uh, stand country, and I'm sorry I forget the name of it, but... Uh, but anyway, he's like, what are you preaching on this Sunday? I said, well, I'm preaching about Noah's Ark coming to rest. And he said, you know something interesting? Just a little while ago, not too long ago, I was in Armenia, and I was looking at uh, Mount Ararat. And, uh, and that's where it's believed that the Ark is, still is, by the way, that it is still there being preserved unto this day. And, and who knows when, it, when or if it will be uh, uh, discovered. But anyway, I thought that was a, a little God wink there for me sending a missionary from all the way from Armenia to my office on Thursday just to confirm to me, you know, that I'm on the right track preaching about Noah and his flood. It's a historical fact. Let's go to the next slide. The ark is a type of Christ, and we need to understand that. The Bible says that the ark rested. You know, this is the second time the Bible speaks of someone resting or something resting. The first time that something or someone rested was who? God Himself, Genesis 2, on the seventh day God ended His work which He had made, and He rested on the seventh day from all of His work which He had made. He didn't rest because He was tired, He rested because He was finished. Verse 3, Genesis 2, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that He in it had rested. The Hebrew word there is Shabbat or Shabbaton, Uh, it's a verb there. The word rest in Genesis 8 is a play on the word noach, which is the word for Noah, Hebrew word for Noah. All right, something interesting. Y'all want to learn something fascinating today? Good, I'm going to teach you whether you want to or not. (laughs) Go with me to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Now this is right before the Passover. Okay. In verse 1 it says, And the Lord Jehovah spoke unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying... This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Is that what your Bible says? So what God is telling them is there's going to be a change in the calendar. Okay? From now on, this is going to be the first month. But prior to this, stick with me here. Have you got your thinking caps on? Prior to this, the first month of the year was September. Okay? And even now, it's still the civil new year. Uh, Rosh Hashanah, Feast of Trumpets. Um, the, 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 the civil year began in September. Okay, Y'all still follow me? Still with me? After the Passover, however, or, or with, with the Passover, the month um, of Nissan, or the literally March or April, what we know now as March or April, would become the first um, of the month. Now, um, in verse 3, are you still in Exodus 12? Okay, thank you. For not leaving me. Stick with me. Speak unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of the month, they shall take unto every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers. And if the household is too little, let him and his neighbor uh, share it. Now, verse 5 says, Your lamb shall be without blemish. So on the tenth day, they were to take the lamb and they were to examine it, whether or not it be without defect or blemish. Okay? Are we still tracking together? Now, it says you shall keep it until the what day? Fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly and the congregation of Israel shall do what to the Lamb? So the Lamb dies on the fourteenth day. Are you with me? Lamb dies on the fourteenth day. All right. Let's go back now to Genesis chapter 8. Now a change in the calendar took place between Genesis 8 and Exodus. And it's important to see that. <clears throat> now Genesis 8 verse 4, it says that the ark rested in the seventh month on the seventeenth day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. So let's do our, let's do our math, shall we? September to October is one month, right? October to November is two months. November to December is three months. December to January is four months. January to February is five months, right? right? February to March, six months. Then April will be the seventh month. That will be the month that the Passover takes place, right? March, April, somewhere in that, in that neighborhood. On the seventh month, the ark rested on the 17th day of the month. Now, according to the Passover, the lamb was killed on what day? The 14th day. Jesus Christ rose on the third day. Three plus 14 is what? Isn't it interesting that the ark comes to rest on the mountains of Ararat the same day that Jesus Christ rises from the dead? Puts a little more, uh, sheds a little bit more light on it when Jesus is coming to me, all of you who are weary and laboring or weary or heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The ark is a type of Christ. All right, verse 5 The waters decrease continually until the 10th month. Um, as Tracy Lawrence would say, time marches on. Right? It's just going on and on and on. Um. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, were the tops of the mountains seen. So don't tell me this was a local flood. The fact that the ark rested on Mount Ararat should have been a clue to you. The Ararat range, the highest peak in Mount Ararat is about 17,000 feet. Now I'm not saying it rested on the highest peak. The Bible doesn't say that, but I'm just saying. Um, But it's also interesting that the ark rested, you know. Anyway. Verse 6 It came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made, and he sent forth a raven, which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. And he sent forth also a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. Now, some preachers make a big deal about the raven and the dove, and I'm sure there's some symbolism there. Uh, What do we know about the raven? Well, it's an unclean animal, it feeds on -on. carrion. So the raven, when Noah releases the raven, the raven brings back a report of death because he's got plenty to feed on so he doesn't need to come back to the ark. So he's just out there. And a raven is comfortable in any environment. Some believers are like that too. Nothing bothers them, nothing convicts them. They're comfortable in any kind of sloppy. I'll quit preaching on that. Um, the dove is different, though. The dove's a clean animal, and the dove likes to have a dry place to rest. Won't, won't settle just anywhere. Separate is a discerning bird. Uh, doves and pigeons are in the same family um, of, of birds. That's why in a, a dove release at a memorial service, this, they're homing pigeons they use. That's why the doves come back. But they have an enormous... Uh, sense of navigation. Doves have tremendous uh, internal compass, I guess you would say, navigation system. So the raven doesn't return. And you know, Noah, he's wise in doing this. Noah is using his intellect and his knowledge of the animals to try to gauge what's going on. Okay, now now the the raven doesn't return, but verse 9, the dove didn't find any rest for her foot, and she returned to him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he takes her in and pulls her in uh, to the ark, and he stays seven other days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. You see this repetition of seven again. Now this time the dove comes into him in the evening, and it says in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. Interesting that even now the symbol of peace is an olive branch, a dove with an olive branch. But it really wasn't a symbol of peace for Noah. It was a symbol of life. That life, you know, I I can only imagine. They must have passed that bird around on the ark, and they were probably just thrilled to, to know that things were blooming again. And so he knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. Verse 12. He stayed seven more days and sent forth the dove. But this time the dove didn't return. So really the true symbol of peace was the fact that the dove didn't return. That was, the, that was showing that, that things were, all, that were well. Things were well in the earth. She didn't come back anymore. All right. I'm trying to figure out how to. How had to preach this. Um, Christians need to be careful here. Well, let's go on to the next verse. It came to pass in the 601st year. This is of Noah's life, by the way. The first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth, okay? And Noah removed the covering of the ark. Man, what a relief that must have been, you know, to get a breath of fresh air. <laughs> Think about that, guys. Think about how bad that must have smelled for all those, all that time, and uh, you know, uncomfortable. Just not, not ideal. It's not a five-star resort that they're staying in. The living conditions were probably not great. Uh, Probably a lot of noise. God probably had to put some of these animals in hibernation, honestly. And that's not a big deal for God, right? I mean, He put the lions to sleep for Daniel. He brought the, lot, the animals to Noah So that's not a big deal But anyway Noah removed the covering of the ark And looked And behold the face of the ground was what? Time to leave the ark right? Not quite Let's go to the next slide Let's talk about the chronology of the flood here In just a moment Or for just a moment And I apologize, that may be a little hard to read, so I'll try to narrate this for you. Let's let's kind of walk through this. Uh, Day zero, the flood begins. In the second month, in the 17th day of the month. Then it rains for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, The water is uh, 15 cubits, roughly 22 feet over the highest places. That's at the end of 40 days. Uh, within the, from then until the 150th day, the waters rise to the highest level, and the ark comes to rest on the mountain range of Ararat, 150 days. At 224 days, the tops of the mountains were visible in the 10th month. On the two, after 40 more days, Noah sends out the raven. Seven days, he sends out the dove. Then he sends out the dove again. Then he sends out the dove a third time. Then he removes the cover after 314 days. Now, at the end of 314 days, the Bible says he saw that the ground was dry. And a lot of Christians at this point would have jumped off the ark. They would have. Because they would have thought, well, you know, uh, I can see that it's dry. And so it must be okay for me to leave. And sometimes the motto of the Christian is, it's easier to get forgiveness than permission. Pastors hate that phrase, by the way. We hate that phrase. It's easier to get forgiveness than permission. A lot of people presume upon the grace of God. A lot of people presume to do things. Saul presumed to offer sacrifice, and the kingdom was taken from him. Um, the king, one of the kings, I forget his name, he presumed to offer up uh, incense and he died a leper. I think it was King uh, Uzziah. I can't remember exactly. But anyway, we have to be careful with presumption. Uh, Abraham and Sarah presumed that they knew how to get an heir for Abraham, and, and it was the outcome. We're still dealing with the outcome of that. A lot of people presume things, but. I'm not saying that every action that we take has to have a direct mandate from God. You know, I mean, I'm not waiting for God to tell me every morning to get out of bed. Okay, Henry, now you can fix your coffee. Better make it too. It's going to be a tough day. You know, I'm not suggesting that. But I am suggesting this. Before you make major moves, you better make sure you've heard from God. You better make sure Noah did not leave the ark until he heard from God. God told Noah when to come into the ark, and God told him when to leave. We get in trouble when we try to get out ahead of God. People get frustrated with me as a pastor sometimes because I don't move quick. But thank God that I don't. You should have said amen right there. Because you don't want me to be acting impulsive. Because sometimes we can get out ahead of God. Not every good idea is a God idea. That's the truth. We need to discern what the will of the Lord is. All right, I'm done preaching pastorally now for a moment. All right, so finally, at the end of 370 days, God commands Noah and everybody to disembark. Notice in verse 15, God spoke unto Noah. Saying, go forth to the ark, you and your wife, and your sons, and your sons' wives with you. God told him to come in, and God told him when to go. That's what he does with us too. The Lord says, come unto me, all of you who are weary and who need rest. And then once we've come to him, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He says, come to me, and then he says, go. I'm sending you forth. Now remember that they had been on the ark seven days before, the the rains even started, so they were on the ark a total of three hundred and seventy seven days. Wow. Do you think those were some monotonous days? You know, in chapter nine, Noah's going to get drunk, and we say, "Well, how could he do that?" Well, think about it. He spent a whole year on a uh, an ark, a barge, with his Wife and his kids And their in-laws You know Uh, He he had a difficult time It must have been really long And monotonous And I'm sure there were times when he was thinking Oh my goodness God where are you God told Noah This is all God told Noah Seven days Excuse me After seven days it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights That's all Noah had to go on but Noah has all of this time period after the 40 days and 40 nights. And I'm sure the devil was whispering in his ear. He said, ha, 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 devil, God forgot about you. He don't even know you're alive. He's busy doing something in another corridor of the universe. But God remembered Noah. All right, verse 19. Every beast, every creeping thing, every fowl, whatsoever creeps upon the earth after their kind went forth out of the ark. Obedience. Over and over we see Noah's obedience to God's command. Verse 20. You know, you think about it. You're a brand new man on a brand new earth. There's probably a big to-do list, wouldn't you think? I mean, there's probably a huge honey-do list. Mrs. Noah's had 377 days to work on. Now, Noah, when we get off this boat... First thing I want you to do is build me a house. And don't build it out of gopher wood. I'm tired of looking at this gopher wood. (laughs) Build it out of something else. You know, And, and I'm sure there were a lot of things that he was thinking about that he that he wanted to do. But his first response, let's go to the next slide. His first response when he leaves the ark is to build an altar. Now, this is the first altar in the Bible. I love Genesis because it's it's got a lot of the first mentions of things. Uh, And this is the first time an altar is mentioned. Now prior to this, I believe, and this is just my view, there are those that agree with me, guys who are smarter than I am, that prior to this, that the place of sacrifice was there at the Garden of Eden. If you remember Genesis 3, 24, it says, drove out the man. And he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword. There was the Shekinah glory of God which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. I believe that was the place of sacrifice. But now, after the flood, post-flood, I believe that the garden is gone. Or at least our access to it is gone. And so now, Noah builds an altar. Now, he wouldn't be the last one to build an altar. Abraham would build an altar. Uh, Isaac builds an altar. God commanded Jacob to build an altar. Moses builds an altar. Altar, 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 altar. But, but you know, think about this. It says, Noah built an altar unto the Lord, verse 20, and took of every clean beast. You wonder, at the beginning of the, the adventure, God said, take seven of the clean beast and two of the unclean beast. That, uh, that even then, there was some order of, there was some uh, prescribed order of sacrifice. And he offered burnt offerings on the altar. Whenever you see a burnt offering, uh, the connotation there is of a complete and a total surrender, a total sacrifice. Now, do you think these animals were valuable to Noah? Oh, yes. They're the only ones on earth. But Noah offers these. He offers basically not a tithe, but basically a seventh. I've had people get contentious with me over the years about giving. And I teach grace giving. I don't preach legalistic giving. But people complain about stuff. And, uh, you know, people say, well, I don't believe in the tithe. And I'll say, well, okay, go ahead and give a seventh like Noah did. I had one guy that was real contentious at another church that I pastored. And, uh, and I got so tired of hearing about it because he was like, you know, uh, the New Testament don't mention nothing about it. I said, you're right. I said, you should be a New Testament Christian. In the book of Acts, they sold everything they had and gave it to the church. That's what I think you should do. And we never had that talk again. Can you believe that? <laughs> we never had that talk again. <laughs> but anyway, Noah offered a sacrifice of biblical proportions. Huge sacrifice. You say, well, wonder why he did that. wonder why Noah did that. Well, let's think about it for a minute. Think about stepping off that ark. He'd been on that ark for how many days? 377, 377 days. And everywhere he looks is nothing but death. There's probably carnage everywhere remains. The, the reminder of death and devastation. That must have been, re- you know, I, I don't like this word, but it must have been really surreal to step out and you're the only people on the planet. What a weird feeling. And I think Noah knew what was in his own heart. I think he did. Noah was not perfect. Noah was preserved because he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's why Noah was saved. It wasn't because he, he never sinned, as we'll see in chapter 9 but it's because he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But I believe that his response was to build an altar because all he could think about was the enormous gratitude that he felt as he looked around at all the death and devastation and he realized that should have been me. God, why did you spare me of all people? I believe that the closer we get to God, the more cognizant we are of our own sinfulness. You know, I've talked to you about the Apostle Paul, how he had descended into greatness. Let me preach it one more time just for y'all who are sitting in the back. When Paul writes Galatians, he's pretty salty, you know. He writes to them, and he says, you know what, I rebuked Peter face to face. I didn't get my doctrine from anybody else. I got my gospel directly from Jesus Christ. I'm an apostle. Then he writes to the Corinthians a little bit later. And he says, I'm not worthy to be called an Apostle. He says, I'm the least of the Apostles. And then a few more years go by, and he writes to the Ephesians from prison. And he says, I am the least of all saints. He's an Apostle. Then he matures to the least of the Apostles. Then he matures to the least of all saints. And then right before he dies, he writes a letter to his protege, Timothy. And he says, Timothy, I need you to know something that God saves sinners and I am the chief of sinners. He went from the apostle to the least of the apostles to the least of the saints to the chief of sinners. I believe at that moment Noah realized or he felt like the chief of sinners. And all he could do was offer up an offering to God a sweet smelling sacrifice. Now the Bible says that God the, the Lord um, I, I noticed something yesterday uh, throughout chapter 8 God is referred to as God, Elohim, creator. But when Noah builds the altar, he doesn't build an altar unto Elohim. He builds an altar unto Yahweh, Jehovah, which is his covenant name. Remember God told Noah, I will establish my covenant with you. And Noah is saying, God, you kept your promise to me. I'm going to build an altar unto you because you and I are entering into a covenant based upon your covenant. Promises, glory to God. And Jehovah, it says, verse 21, Yahweh smelled a sweet savor. And again, this is metaphorical language. Don't think that he's, God has a nose and it's, you know, he smelled like a barbecue or whatever. But he smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, notice God's talking, not to everybody else, but he said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. Now that didn't remove the curse obviously because we're still living with the curse. People still die. Work is still difficult. But he says for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. What an interesting response. Noah's sac- I believe that Noah's sacrifice is the key verse in this passage because I believe it's pointing to another sacrifice. In this in this place, Noah has become the new Adam. He's the new representative, if you will, of the human race. But there will come another. He will not be the second Adam or the third Adam, but he will be the last Adam. And he will fix everything that the first Adam destroyed. God will not destroy anymore every living thing as I have done. I believe that when Noah offered that sacrifice, it was a foretaste of what his son would do on Calvary. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 15, Paul says, For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. When God looks at you and he looks at me in Christ, he doesn't see us, he sees the son. Joanna was singing about it earlier. God has done some amazing things for you and for me. Some amazing. He has made it possible for us to be right with God. God's standard is not ninety-nine point whatever. Remember, Ivory Soap was ninety-nine point something pure. I guess it still is. I don't use it, but I, I guess it still is pure. But God's standard is not ninety nine point nine, nine 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 nine. God's standard is perfect. The only way you will get to heaven when you die or if the trumpet sounds is if you are perfect. So within ourselves, that presents a great dilemma, does it not? Because <laughs> there ain't a soul in here that has not violated at least one of the Ten Commandments. Never mind the other 600. 20 some odd commands. But there's not a soul in here that has not violated one of God. And all it takes is one. That's all it takes is one. So let's go to the last slide. So in the grand scheme of things, what does this mean for us? Well, it means we're going to see in chapter 9 that Noah is a sinner. There was sin on the ark. Noah was a sinner. And we're going to see that that his son Ham was a sinner and the rest of them were too. Everybody on the ark was a sinner. Do you get that? Do I need to belabor that point? Everybody on the ark, now that doesn't mean they were as bad as they could possibly be, okay? Evidently Noah was the cream of the crop, but he was still a sinner. So the flood did not do away with sin. The flood dealt with a very specific problem. I've already taught you about that. The reasons for the flood are, ta- are outlined in Genesis chapter 6. The sons of God came into the daughters of men, and that whole genetic uh, tampering that was taking place. Hebrews ten fourteen says, For by one offering, Christ has perfected forever those that are sanctified or being sanctified. 1 John 2, 1, My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Everybody say, praise God. Jesus Christ, and he's called the righteous one. Why is he called that? Because he is the only one who ever fulfilled all the righteous demands of the law. (laughs) Jesus fulfilled every jot, every tittle, every righteous demand. He dotted every I, he crossed every T. Jesus kept every command of God Perfectly, He was tempted in all points, just like we are, yet without sin. And he, 1 John 2, 2, is the propitiation. It satisfies the righteous demands of a holy God. God is holy. God is not like us. There was a song that was popular years ago, What If God Was One of Us? Well, he did come and dwell among us, but I thank God that he wasn't one of us. Because if he did, we'd all die and go to hell. He came and he became one of us, but there was a, a marked difference there. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. He was fully man, but he was also fully God. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, And this is why I'm not a, a true Calvinist here, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus died for every man, woman, Amen. and child. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what you've done. You, you, you might have a list of things. You might say, Henry, you don't know what I've done. No, I don't, but God does. Guess what? It's no match for the blood of Jesus. <laughs> Nothing you ever did in your life is a match for the blood of Jesus. Nothing. I am so thankful that God did not whitewash the Bible and remove the frailty and the errors and the sins of its heroes. I am so glad that I can look at Noah as a righteous man but know that he's a human just like I am. I could look at King David who's a man after God's own heart, and understand that he's a human just like me. God can use anybody. There's not a person in this room that God can't or won't use. You believe that? I believe that with all my heart. God remembered Noah, but when Noah got off that ark, the first thing he did was remember the Lord. Noah remembered the Lord. I want to ask you this morning, as we prepare for our altar, Service. I want to ask you, do you remember the Lord in your daily life? I know we had communion last week, and it was appropriate for us to remember. Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. But I wonder, do you live your life thinking about what God has done for you? Every day is a gift from God. Every single day. I heard a great... There's a lot of junk out there on the, the internet, but I saw a great video yesterday. And the guy said, do you wake up every morning grateful to God, excited? And he's talking to a young man, and the young man said, no. I don't wake up every day excited. He said, well, what if I tell you right now that I was going to give you a million dollars? Would that Would you be excited? He said, yeah. Of course I would. He said, would you... Live life to the fullest that day? Of course I would. He said, what if I told you I'll give you a million dollars today but you're not going to wake up tomorrow? He said, would you take it? He said, no, I wouldn't take the money. He said, why? He said, well, I don't want to die. He said, so you're telling me that waking up in the morning is worth more to you than a million dollars? You see, every day, Every day is a gift from God. The breath of life is a gift from God. And I know some of you have gone, gone through some storms. Some of you have been going through some stuff for a while. Some chronic health issues. Caretakers. We need to pray for all of our caretakers. This is an exhausting job. Mentally, physically, emotionally. Some of you are dealing with chronic health problems. Some of you are dealing with grief. That nobody knows but you and God. Some of you are dealing with financial pressures. Some of you are dealing with marital pressures. Some of you are dealing with issues within the family. Everybody's got issues. Everybody does. Some of you are dealing with fear and anxiety, depression. And you wonder, does God even know where I am? I want to tell you, God knows exactly where you are. He has never forgotten you. He's been with you through it all. And he will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That's his promise. But I want to ask you, have you remembered the Lord? Oh no, God's not asking us to kill a bunch of animals. That wouldn't do anything anyway. There's only one sacrifice that God accepts, and that's the Son, the blood of his Son. You can't improve upon that. But I wonder, when was the last time you just said, God, thank you, that I'm not getting what I deserve? Don't ever ask God to give you what you deserve. Don't ever. The mercy of God is God giving us, not giving us what we deserve. And the grace of God is Him giving us what we don't deserve. When I was listening to this music this morning, you know all I could think about? And I'm not ashamed to tell you. The only thing I could think about is I deserve to be dead right now and in hell. If God were to give me what I deserve, I would be dead and I'd be in hell, some, somewhere, some region of the damned. The last place I would ever be is up here preaching God's Word. The reason I'm here preaching God's Word today is not because I'm so smart. It's not because I'm so talented. It's not because I'm so gifted. It is one reason alone. It is the grace of Almighty God. This church has shown grace to me. And hopefully I've shown grace to you. I endeavor to do so now until the end. And I'm going to tell you what, God has been so good to each one of us here. If God never answers another prayer, and I believe that he will, would you stand? If God never answers another prayer, he has already done the most marvelous miracle that he could ever do for you. And that is he has provided a way for you to live with him for eternity. Never To die separated apart from God. What a gift that is. It is a gift unspeakable and full of glory. So I'm going to open up the altar this morning. And if you're not saved, don't wait another day. Today's the day of salvation. Your number may be up today. You may not wake up tomorrow. I'm sure there's a lot of people that that woke up this morning not knowing that they're going to die today. But they will. Jesus is coming again. No man knows the day or the hour, but he's coming. And when he comes, just like in Noah's day, the door's going to be shut. And those that are ready are going to go in with him. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Jesus came, he lived for you, he died for you on the cross, he was buried, he rose again the third day. And if you will accept by faith, what, that's the great exchange. How many times have I got to tell you this? You won't find a better deal anywhere. I trade in my filthy rags. I trade in even my good, you know Isaiah says even my righteous deeds are filthy rags. Even my good stuff, even my good stuff is filthy rags. I trade in my filthy rags for his perfect righteousness. So that I can be born again and I can spend eternity with him. But maybe you're a believer here today and you've thought to yourself, man I don't have anything to praise God about. I don't have anything to be thankful about. You got clothes on your back, shoes on your feet, you got clean water to drink, you got a roof over your head, you got air conditioning in the summertime and heat in the wintertime. You got a car that'll take you from point A to point B. You got food on your table, you got a job to go to. You got many you're the richest some of the richest people on the planet earth. Amen. My goodness. And above all that, we serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God knows my name. Hallelujah. He knows who you are. The God of the universe knows you by name. Every hair on your head is numbered. Hallelujah. Would you come? God's been ministering to us this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit and he will continue to do so Now I pray that he would just speak to you throughout the day just, just meditate on him and, and uh, I love you so much I hope you have a great week remember next Sunday is homecoming and we will have covered dish uh, following, following the service here the Montgomery family will be here also the nominating committee is going to be doing their work so they may be reaching out to you